All right, praise God. How many of you could quote John 3.16? Probably, right? It's one of the most known. I, I don't know how we know this, but they, they claim it's one of the best known scriptures. Uh, I don't think it's the best known one because the best known one is Jesus wept. Because everybody who's learning a Bible verse cheats and goes for that one, right? Just two words, Jesus wept. But it's one that's well known. You might be at a sporting event. Somebody has a sign, John 3, 16. And they don't really have to say much more because everybody's got a general gist about it. I want to read to you. The AV does not have it. I don't want it up. Uh, but I want to read to you from the NLT what it says. It says, for this is how God loved the world. That's an interesting phrase there. This is how God loved the world. Now, remember, the two commandments, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments? The greatest commandments were about love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two greatest commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So that's God's commandment to us about how we love him and how we love one another. But John 3.16 presents us with an interesting thing because it tells us how God loved us. This is how God loved the world. He gave. Now, the rest of the verse, of course, you know. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave. So this morning, I want to start with a starting premise. It's not my main point, but it's a foundation stone. True love is expressed in giving. True love is expressed in giving. Now, how do I know this? Because God, who is truth, would not have expressed his love in anything but the best way. He told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And oh, by the way, that will lead you to love your neighbor as yourself. So we all know this principle. We state it around here all the time. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. I love that because I know that I'm hard to love. But you all are stuck loving me because you don't love God unless you love me. That just feels very gratifying to me. Now, the part that's not so gratifying is you all aren't exactly easy to love all the time either. But if I'm going to love God, I got to love you. This is what builds community. This is what characterizes the community of God. In fact, Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples. This is what will distinguish you. It is not your doctrine. It is not your dress code. They're going to know your mind by the fact that you love one another. But you understand that what's happening is, is God then in John 3.16, and Jesus is the one speaking in John chapter 3, as you know, this is how God loved the world. So literally, the expression of the love of God says to us, let me tell you the secret. Let me tell you how this works. He's God himself in the flesh. And he's saying, let me tell you how this works. God so loved the world that he gave. Now, what's interesting in this season of my life is that 
as you all know, because we are in a team structure, that I don't preach as much as I used to. The second thing is, is that I also know that my time here is closing. So every message that I bring to you, there's almost this sense that's coming like, I need to pack this with everything I need to share with them. And it's almost as if God is leading me and guiding me in some of those things that, that it's not that I've never preached them before, but they have a little bit of an underlying to them, if you will. And so this morning, I want to preach to you something that you've probably heard pieces of it before. But I, I want to share with you something that is absolutely critical to the ethos of this congregation and it is critical to your growth as a Christian. And I want to preach to you. Give me my title slide, baby doll. Uh, my daughter's running AV. Um, <laughs> the secret of giving. The secret of giving. It's critical that you hear me on this. It's critical that you hear me in how this applies to money. But it's critical that you hear how this applies to everything. There's a secret in giving. And I started with John 3.16 to simply tell you that if God who loved the world said the way I'm going to love you is by giving, then you and I had best take note of the importance of giving. And today I want to share with you, and there's pieces of this that many of you have heard, but I don't know that I've ever put it all together in a single sermon. And by God's grace, I'm going to share with you the secret of giving. My first scripture that I want to, and this is going to be very, very scripturally based, okay? I'm, I'm going to be extremely scripturally based. So the first verse that I want to start with is Acts chapter 20 and verse number 35. Is it 35? There we go. Before I read the verse to you, and you can read ahead because I already know that you all are. The context is actually ironic. The Apostle Paul has met the elders of the church in Ephesus. He's headed to Jerusalem. The prophets have been telling him, the church body has been telling him, the Holy Spirit has been sending message after message, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, it's going to cost you. But Paul has set his mind, and we could have a whole discussion of whether I think he should have done it or not. Personally, I think he shouldn't have. Sometimes we humans can get bullheaded, and God will work with that too. But he knows he's headed to Jerusalem, and so he meets with these elders. He actually meets them at a port city called Miletus. I've actually had the honor of standing, we think, if we know geography, I've stood in the actual harbor. So in other words, I've stood, this, this property size, I've stood somewhere within this property size of where Paul was standing. And he met with these elders, and he basically speaks, 
his last face-to-face words. Now, he's later going to write a letter from Ephesus, a letter to Ephesus from the city of Rome while he's in bondage because he does go to Jerusalem, he does get arrested, he heads to Rome, and of course he ultimately dies there at the hands of the Roman Empire. In the midst of this last statement to them, I would think a last statement significant, right? And I would think your closing words in your last statement would be significant, right? These are his last words. This is what he ends with. Of all the things the Apostle Paul could end with in speaking to this great church of Ephesus, these are the words he ends with. So these words seem to me to be significant. They also seem to be to be more significant because this is my geek side, so forgive me. This is also the only place these words of Jesus are preserved. You realize all the words of Jesus, even if they're repeated in the letters, they show up first in the Gospels. But this set of words of Jesus are nowhere to be found in the Gospels. In the voice of Paul, reminding this great church of Ephesus that's had massive revival, that has had major impact upon the province of Asia Minor, where there was massive riot over the the goddess. You remember? This church that has shook one of the great cities of the Roman Empire. Paul's telling them, be careful of the wolves that'll come and guard the flock and care for everything. He's giving them last words, and then he ends his statement to them. He says, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So this great apostle who is finishing his ministry, who's not going to physically, as far as we can tell, know or see the church of Ephesus ever again, his closing words to them, standing in the port city of Miletus, in the port, because he had them come and meet them there, meet him there before he got back on his ship and headed to Jerusalem. He says, the the last words I want you to hear from my voice, and I know he probably hugged and kissed and all that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he didn't say any more words. But his last formal words that he spoke to that church You realize there's a lot of important things he could have said as his last final words, right? He said, I need you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. The church at Ephesus was probably hugely Gentile. I don't know that any of them were eyewitnesses. I don't know that any of them had ever seen the Lord Jesus. I don't know that any of them had ever had contact with Jesus, at least not at this point. And he says, I need you to remember. So somewhere he's probably told them this before. I need you to remember, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's an interesting thing I want you to notice. The word more means it's blessed to receive. So let's acknowledge, it's not a bad thing to receive. Somebody comes up and gives me a gift, there's a blessing in that. 
There's a blessing in receiving. Jesus did not say there's not a blessing in receiving. So everybody lay down anything of like, well, what are we going to do? We always got to give. We never get anything. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's blessing in getting things. There's blessing in, in, in hugs and kisses that are given to you. There's blessing in gifts that are given to you. There's blessings in time that's given to you. There's blessings in things given to you. But Jesus said it is more blessed. There's, there's something more in the giving than in the receiving. Okay, so you come to God, and this is a principle that you have to begin to learn. Because when you come to God, when I come to God, our first step, and some of you may be in this place right now, this may be your first step, you are concerned about heaven and hell. You may be coming in the midst of a crisis. Your marriage may be falling apart. Some of you may be coming because suddenly you're waking up to, I need some positive influence in my kids' lives. Church would be a great place to get that. Others of you have got financial woes. Others of you need healing within your body. So we come to God with needs. Now notice something. It is blessed to receive. I'm here this morning to tell you, God loved the world so much that he gave himself. And because he gave himself, you can repent of your sins. You can be baptized in Jesus' name. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost that will transform your life. You can receive from him. We'd be happy to baptize you this morning. We'll be happy to pray with you and exalt and praise the name of Jesus. And as you submit yourself, he'll take over your tongue and your lips and you'll speak in other tongues as he gives you the utterance. But can I note something, dear church, this morning? All of those things when we first come to him are about us. They're about receiving. And it's blessed to receive. Pastoral team was giving me a hard time because my wife's birthday is next Sunday. I'm not real good at birthdays. I'm good at a lot of other things, but I'm not good at birthdays. Birthdays don't mean a hill of beans to me. You all love to hate on me anyway, so I'll go ahead and give you another thing to just go, what's wrong with that boy? What's wrong with that boy? So here's, here's what we're doing. I'll be gone next Sunday because I'm going with my girls and my, and my wife. We are going to one of my good friends' birthday celebrations. My wife and he happen to share the same birthday. We're going to the birthday celebration. Now, my wife likes to travel, so don't get it wrong. She, she's not real upset about this. But my, my, my pastoral team was like looking at me like, what is wrong with you? What are you giving your wife for your birthday? What are you doing for your birthday? And she's the one that piped up. I wasn't going to even throw myself under the bus, but she goes, <laughs> he's taking me to one of his friend's birthday parties. <laughs> Now, I'm going to take her to a nice hotel, and I'll probably take her out to eat someplace nice because I like to do that. So I'll do my little things. And those are great things. When we have things done for us, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not the most blessed place. It's not the most blessed place. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So when you come to God, part of your maturation as a disciple is to begin to move from self-centered 
to others-centered. That's part of what should happen. If you are stalling on that, there's a problem. And you need to address it. Because at some point, you should grow in your knowledge of Christ to realize that the kingdom is actually not all about you. Particularly if you've received the forgiveness of your sins. Particularly if you have been washed in his blood in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Particularly if you've been filled with his spirit and now God is leading you and guiding you in righteousness and in holiness. I'm here today to tell you that God's already done enough for you that he don't owe you anything else. And by the way, he does keep on giving. He does keep on being blessed. He does keep on helping us, but he doesn't owe you anymore. Heaven and hell has been resolved. You now do not walk alone. You have power in that Holy Spirit to live unto godliness and righteousness. So there's a maturity that occurs, and so as you grow, you learn this principle, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, let me take you to my next passage of Scripture to put alongside of it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. No air bubbles. Running over and poured into your lap. This sounds like a messy kitchen. This is what I do not want my daughter Candace doing with all of her canisters. I don't have a problem if you're pouring it in, Candace. I don't have a problem if you shake it a little bit to make sure it's there. But I don't want this, this running over and poured into my sink. And then he makes this statement. So he's made this statement, give and you will receive. But he says the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. More literal translation is the measure you use will be the measure used to give it back to you. I heard one person put it this way. Little scoop, little scoop back. Big scoop, big scoop back. Ginormous scoop, ginormous scoop back. All right. With what measure? The amount you give. Now remember, I am going to address in particular money, but don't think just money. I'm here to talk to you, and I haven't told it yet to you. You haven't heard the secret of giving yet. You just heard about giving. I have a secret to tell you today. I have a secret to tell you. Some of you might know it. Some of you, you might know it, but you're not tapping into it. And some of you, I don't think you know it yet. I don't think you know the secret. There's a lot of Christians who don't know the secret. I'm laying the foundation so that we can talk about giving, and then I'm going to tell you the secret. Because everything that God has done through this church is based upon that secret. 
So if I love you, and I'm not going to be here to continually bring it to you piecemeal, I need to download it to you. I need to give it to you today. I need you to have it in your hands. Jesus says, there's no, there's no parenthetical phrases. Do you notice that? There's no qualifiers. I love looking up how many people put qualifiers on this. And I understand why. Because there's all kinds of, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, prosperity doctrine preachers, and so we overreact the other direction. Let me tell you something about God. God is one. But let me tell you something. The scriptures say that that one God can be understood in the role and in the function of a father, can be understood and function in the role of the son, and can be understood and function in the role of the Holy Spirit, and all three are one. We can overreact against doctrines of Trinity and understandings that God is actually three and all of these kinds of things, and we can stop using the language of Father and stop using the language of the Holy Spirit. That's an overreaction. God is a Father. He's a Father in creation. He's a Father of Himself. He's a Father to you and to me. He was born a human being, therefore He's a Son. He is redeeming us through that. He gave Himself on that cross. He died for us. He's expressed in that physical human form, but the Spirit of God that was God from the beginning, that overshadowed the womb of Mary, that created that baby, and that now, after that baby died on the cross, comes back to live inside of us, is the Holy Spirit. There is not a problem with any of these languages. It's still the same God. So what I have discerned is in giving many of us, and us preachers understandably, we get a little nervous about taking Jesus at his word. Because other preachers have taken it and have foisted it to their own being. I can't find nowhere in Scripture that if you bring me a prayer cloth that, and, 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 and you give me a certain donation, that then God's going to pour out to you. <laughs> but we need to be careful about overreacting because of bad theology and bad preaching that we ignore. Jesus said, when you give, you will receive. This is a principle of life. This has nothing to do with being a Christian. This is one of God's principles. When you give, you will receive. He says, when you do this, it will actually come back to you in full. And then the real kicker that I want you all to get a hold of is he says, because this is true, because there's a relation between what comes back to you and what you gave in the first place, you should note that you give a little bitty gift, you're going to get a little bitty gift back. You give a medium-sized gift, you're going to get a medium-sized gift back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anticipate where I'm going. You give generously, you're going to get generously back. The measure with which you measure is the measure with which it will be measured back to you. Or, as the NLT puts it, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Okay. All right. So it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, even though we know because of the more that it's blessed to receive. If you give, you will receive, and you're going to receive in full, and the measure with which you give is the measure in which you're going to get it back. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. This is the passage where there's a rich young ruler. 
And Jesus tells him to go sell all that he has and give it to the poor and come follow him. And of course, he doesn't do it, and, and, and Jesus is sad and so forth. So Jesus is talking about how hardly will the rich enter into the kingdom. And Peter speaks up, and he, 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 he wants to go beyond more and go to absolutely the, the, the absolute top superlative. He says, Lord, we've given up everything. Like, we got nothing left to give to follow you. Now, we could contest whether Peter really had given up everything. All right, we could talk about that. Because I do find that Peter tells himself later that he wants to go fishing. And when he goes back to Galilee to go fishing, he doesn't seem to have a problem finding a boat. So I'm kind of wondering, did you sell all your boats or did you just leave them in somebody else's hands? It's kind of like me looking at you going, I live in an apartment and I I just live in an apartment. Well, I'm kind of fibbing to you. I still own my home. It's just I'm renting it to somebody. You know, so I'm not sure Peter gave everything, but we get his point, right? He's saying to Jesus, hey, we've been really generous. Look at us. We've left our families. We've left our lands. We've left our, our, our businesses, and we're following you. We, we're, we don't have a home to live in either because we're with you. We're sleeping outside. We're camping next to fires. We're, we gave up everything. Here's Jesus' response to him. He says, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property. So notice, this is not just money. This is about relationships. This is about time. This is, that's why I want you to hear me today. The secret of giving is not just about money. It includes money, but it is broader than money. He says, everyone who's given up these things for my sake and for the good news Will now Jesus is being more specific about that pressed down, shaking together, running over. He's going to get real specific. He says, We'll receive now in return a hundred times as many, whatever it is you gave houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property. Oh, by the way, along with persecution, <laughs> little interest there, we're going to give you. They're going to pick on you, they're going to revile you because you're mine. So if you're looking for a free lunch, as the economics professor I took at University of Delaware said, there's no free lunch. This given and this return comes at a price. And he goes on, he says, and in addition to what happens now in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. That person will have eternal life. So again, because of prosperity doctrine, we shy away. Wow, did he really mean a hundred times? Now, I will tell you in my experience, you're going to have a hard time fact-checking God. You're going to have a hard time. If you want to keep books on God, whether, you know, I gave you three hours here. Now, where did it come back in? I paid my tithes for 10 years, and that totals up to this amount of money. Now, where did it come back in? And I need to see that multiplication factor times 100. Good luck with that. I'm just telling you right now, I've never been able to track God. But I'm kind of with David. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. 
I'm kind of with David that even when it gets tough, man, somehow something happens, and and, and we don't know how to explain it. There's years I sit down, and folks, trust me, I know how to track money, okay? I know how to do that personally, and I know how to do that for the church. Remember, I grew up under James and Eleanor Beardsley. Every Monday was a fight over a lost dime, a nickel. It was never a quarter. It was a dime or a nickel. I will tell you one little secret. This is not the secret to give them, but I will tell you one little secret. Every once in a while, after spending the entire day trying to reconcile those books, my dad sometimes would get tired and go get the dime off his own pocket and put it in to make the books balance. But only after having exhausted all of Monday trying to find it. I know how to track money. But there are times, Sister Wendy, that I, I look at my books and I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened. And it's not because I'm willy-nilly. Some of you, you look at your books and you don't know what happened, but I know why you don't know what happened. <laughs> My son Caleb, he looks at his book sometimes and doesn't know what happened, okay? We're working on that to get him where he knows what happened, all right? He, fought, he forgot a receipt somewhere, or he forgot to do this or that. So I know what it, no, 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 I'm talking, I look at my books, I know where every penny goes. Oh, I got to tell you something funny. He's going to be mad at me for doing it. So Marcus is in Guatemala. There's conversion, right? It's not as bad as Paraguay. Caleb was a millionaire in Paraguay multiple times. Because the exchange rate was so horrible. <laughs> well, it's not as bad in, 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 in Guatemala. I think it's something like seven to eight, our dollar. So that means that, that 1K, that's the short for it. I can't even say the long name. But 1K, Q, is like 13 cents. Okay? That's the equivalent of 1K. So in the first week, he texts me one night frustrated. He's like, I'm off by 1K. So I said to him, I said, son, I think the church is okay that you don't know exactly where 13 cents went. And he went, that's not acceptable. (laughs) There was a side of me that went, seriously, kid? But there was a side of me that actually kind of puffed my chest out and went, I'm kind of proud. There he is again. There it is. We, We don't lose anything, and when we do, we're bugged by it. So I told him what my wife and I do in our, because cash is where you lose track, right? You do a dollar here if a tip something or you buy a soda and you forget to note it and you, you can lose track of a little bit of money, right? So when Regina and I reconcile our cash account, yes, you heard what I just said. We reconcile our cash account. We have a little line item that we say, which is Stephen doesn't have a clue or Regina doesn't have a clue. So I said, Marcus, put a line item in your books. Marcus doesn't have a clue. And I promise you when I take this back to the accountable sources of the church, if you don't have too many of those, I don't have a clues, I think we'll be okay. But you can't tell us exactly where 13 cents went. Anyway, that's my boy. What a goof. I don't know how it happened. How many of you can bear testimony this morning that there are times you look and you go, God, I don't know how you did that, but you took care of me. I don't know how I got that project done, but somehow you multiplied my time. 
I don't know. I don't know how you opened that door, but somehow something happened there. I, I, how did you? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what happened there. I promise you, you can't track him on the books. But Jesus says, anything that you give up for me and my kingdom, times one hundred in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Okay. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's blessed to receive, but it's more blessed to give than to receive. The measure you use to give determines what's coming back to you. In other words, if you give him a tablespoon of whatever, let's say it's a tablespoon of your talent, you're going to get 100 tablespoons back, but you won't be able to track it. But he'll give you 100 to that back. But if you give him a gallon, you give him a five-gallon bucket, you give him a dump truck. In other words, what measure you give will determine the measurement coming back. He's fair. Everybody's going to get returned to them. If you give, you will receive, and it'll be shaken together, and God will be faithful. Amen? But that's not the secret. So we come to God, and we know this we're blessed to give. We begin to turn our attention away from self. We begin to look towards others, We because giving is always about others. Oh, I need to say that again. Giving is always about others. So we give and we receive. We understand that the, with the measurement that we use is what it will come back to us. Now let me take you to 2 Corinthians. All of the passages up until now have been Jesus' words. All of the passages up until now have been Jesus' words. Now it's the Apostle Paul. None of the passages I've read to you are specifically financial. You even see that where Jesus says if you give up a house or you give up a relationship or you give up time. Okay, he has broad categories. Paul is actually dealing with an offering, which, by the way, we're not taking an offering today, so everybody relax. We already took the offering. And he makes this statement that he's already alluded to in this offering, in this giving. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. This is just another way of saying exactly what Jesus said. The measure you use to give is the measure that it will return to you. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I want to pause here real quick. I want to tell you something new, Art. Don't leave this. I'm not being critical, but I am stating a line of demarcation. Most churches do not submit themselves to Paul's instruction here. If you pressure people, if you tell them what to give, if you coerce them, 
so that they are giving but reluctantly or in response to pressure. There is no chance for you to tap into the secret of giving. Everything I have to say following, and when I tell you what the secret of giving is, it will not be an option. Because you will squelch the secret of giving. So he goes on, verse 8, he says, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, some of us might go, well, I don't always have plenty left over. Notice what he said. You will have all that you need. If you don't feel like you have leftover, I'm telling you, you either are walking out of the ways of the world, because the ways of the world will bury you. And if you took 20 years to bury yourself in ungodly living, you should give God at least a few months or a couple of years to dig you back out. Amen? If you were all hooped up and crazy about things for all of the first part of your life, you don't just walk in and God just dumps everything and fixes everything. He's going to make you earn it a little bit. He's going to make you feel the pain of it. He's going to cause you to be disciplined about it. But can I get a big old loud amen from some people who were buried when they came to Jesus, but God has been really good. God has been really faithful. He will get you there. But sometimes we can still look at it and go, I don't have a whole lot left over. The problem is, is that you have replaced your needs with your wants. Amen? And that is an ongoing problem. And by the way, let me tell you how you fix it. You give more. Ha! Ooh, that went over like a lead balloon. Y'all didn't feel that one real good. When you find yourself sitting there, God's been good, God's been faithful, God has blessed you, and you're sitting there mully-grubbing because there's a discrepancy between your needs and your wants. You know how you fix that? You crucify your flesh with the lust thereof. Oh, I thought some people would be shouting with me on that, but I guess I need to return to this a little bit. you got to crucify that thing. you got to stick it on the cross because your flesh is never satisfied. Your flesh is never happy. You want more time. You want bigger houses. You want more wealth. You want more ability. You want more whatever. God knows your need, and he's faithful. And by the way, I'm there. Boy, it, it can get creep up on you. You can start looking at it and feeling all in the doldrums. And by the way, one of the ways you fix it is look back to where you came from. I've told some of you to do this. Look back to what you used to know and what do you know now? Look back to your skills when you first knew Jesus and what do you know? What, what, what skills do you have now? Go look at your tax return when you first came to Jesus and look at your tax return now. Come on now. Sometimes we got to go back. We got to look back to remind ourselves of where he's brought us from. Because here's the key God will generously. I don't know how you are more generous in giving than this is how I love the world. I came and I died for you. 
By the way, if you struggle with understanding why we believe there's only one God, here's why. There's nothing generous about a God sending his son, a surrogate, to die for somebody whom he loves. There's nothing generous about that. But when you understand that that God was born a human, that God descended from glory, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of humanity, and that God himself went to the cross, that God himself in humanity put his arms down on that, that God himself allowed creation to put nails through the creator's hands, and that God died. Now that is a whole other level of generous. Greater love hath no man, he said, than this. Then a man laid down his life for his friends. If there's nothing greater, guess what he just used? He used the top word. The greatest love was dying for somebody. So when God uses the word generously, please understand, he knows your needs and he will be generous to you to meet those needs and he'll be generous to you so that you have plenty left over to share with others. Now we're getting close to the secret. This is consistent with what the words of Paul are. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's a blessing to receive. But it's more blessed to give. Many people think the reason it's blessed is because you what you get back. I'm here today to tell you, you will get back. God is faithful and he will bless you. You cannot outgive God. You can't give him too much time. You can't give him too much devotion. You can't give him too much love. You can't love your neighbor too much. You can't give yourself to your community too much. You cannot outgive God. But that's not the secret. He will return to you, multiplied many times over, shaken down and running over. But that's not the secret of giving. Plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. This is why I want you to understand, even in the midst of a passage that is explicitly about money, about an offering, this is not a principle that's about money alone. This is about every aspect of your life. Jesus' statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive, is not just about your money. It is an attitude. It is an attitude that affects every aspect of your being. Your marriage will get better if you understand this. Your friendships will get better if you understand this. Your working relationships will get better. See, America has taught you to grab for your rights. It's not your rights. Why don't you let God guard your rights? Okay, we've got to watch ourselves. American culture is not biblical. Okay, it's not. 
God's the one who provides. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources. And then here is the secret. And then produce not the stuff he gives back to you times 100. No, he will produce in you a great harvest of generosity. So here's the secret of giving. Whether it's got to do with your money, whether it's got to do with your time, whether it's got to do with your abilities, whatever aspect of your life, as the Spirit leads you and guides you, the secret to giving is that when he gives back to you, you double down. And the only way you'll double down is if the work of the Spirit is operating within you to produce the harvest of generosity. So many Christians, hear me, Newark, so many Christians come to God and they're in such need. And he's faithful. He loves us. He meets us at those altars. He draws us to him. He loves us. He embraces us. He sorts out our messes. He step-by-step step leads us and guides us, and he blesses. And we reach a point where we're no longer in a place of desperation, and we begin to turn our eyes to others. He's provided for our needs, and he's done even more than our needs. And the challenge is, is if you have been taught to give according to rules, you'll just stay at the same place and you'll be missing the harvest of generosity. When God increases you, is your first thought, what of this do you want back? Because here's the secret of giving. It applies to time. It applies to talent. It applies to money. I can speak to those three from my own experience. I think there's others, but I definitely, I can literally tell you a story. I'm not going to today because lunch is on the other side of me. We didn't have just a taste today, so I took that time slot. So don't be, don't be double-checking me. It's 1.30. We're still fine. Your belly's only starting to growl. It'll be fine. But these three, time, talent, and finance. When you first give to God, can I tell you something? It's only going to be a little bit because you're only going to have a little bit. You're only going to have a little bit of time. You're only going to have a little bit of talent. You're only going to have a little bit of money. Well, I'll give when I got more time or I'll give when I got more talent. I'll give when I got more money. doesn't work that way, does it, saints? I'm in debt. Still got to start giving. You've heard the story of my daddy? Told my mom, I can't buy you a house. 
My mom called the preacher on him. My dad was so far in debt, he just kept giving more and more and more. And my mother's flipping out. Now, my mother's a godly woman, but she wasn't so godly in that moment. Can you imagine being the preacher, getting called to the house to look at a man whose wife, who's served God for all of her life, and this man's a new convert, and the wife's saying, could you please tell him to stop giving so much? I mean, my parents bought their house where they bought it in Kaiser, West Virginia, because of its location to the church. Because they wanted to have the ability to go down to that church anytime that anybody needed anything. These are all forms of giving. I don't know what Brother Williamson ultimately said. I can just imagine him kind of trying to figure out what to do with this. But my daddy had picked up something. My daddy had learned something. When God blesses, you give again. When God takes your five loaves and two fish and feeds twenty to 30,000 people and there's 12 baskets left over, you don't go, man, we got a smorgasbord for the next three weeks. You turn around and go, Master, what are these 12 baskets supposed to do? That's your first thing. Now, let me tell you a principle. I've never had God ask for everything. That's why all these preachers who tell you to give everything, they're charlatans, they're liars, and don't listen to them. Because they're pressuring you. They don't understand the secret of giving. And that means giving all your time. That means giving all your talent. That means giving all your money. God doesn't want everything. God wants a portion. Because here's the principle. If you give him a portion, he can increase the base. And when he increases the base, you now have more. And if you understand the secret of giving, you now have more margin. And if you understand the secret of giving, you give him back what he asks of that. And he'll never ask for 100%. So now what you are is you got an increased base. You're giving him even more, but you still have more margin as well. So guess what's going to happen? He's going to increase the base again. And then when you are also understanding the principle of giving and the secret of giving, you're now going to give him even more, but because the base is bigger, your margin is bigger, and he has a door that has no limits to it. It won't cost you your salvation. It won't damn your soul, and he can do what he wants to do in this world. That's the secret of giving. All right, pastoral team, this is where you can say I'm meddling. I would have dealt with it anyway, but you can say I'm meddling. You don't grow giving by appeal. You grow giving by discipleship. Because once you understand, once you get a disciple to understand the principle of giving and the secret of giving, you never have to teach it again. You just have to remind them. That's all you got to do. You just got to remind them. If I come to you with offering appeals, I'm going to have to come every time to appeal. And eventually you're going to feel pressure. And eventually you're going to be compulsed. And eventually you're not making up your own mind. And you're going to squelch the harvest of generosity. Because the harvest of generosity only happens when you freely give. When you are a cheerful giver. Now, i got no problem looking at you and saying, some of you have got this. Your missions giving, your offerings, and your tithes are like clockwork. 
Some of you are living on 70% of your income. And God has been faithful to you. And others of you are at various stages. And you're picking up on the ties because that's the one that feels the most compulsory. you got to grow out of that. You can't stay under that place of compulsion. Well, I know I'm supposed to pay my tithes. That's not a good way. I know this is dumb, but keep your money. Well, i got to go serve. Stay home. I know. The pastoral team's going to yell at me now because I just blew out the serving. Stay home. We want cheerfulness. I want you to struggle to ask yourself, why am I not giving? Why don't I have time to give? Why don't I share my talents? Why don't I give to missions or give in the offerings? Or why don't I pay my tax? Ask those questions, and I'll wait on you. And some of you, you're just clueless right now, and that's okay, because that's the way it all starts. My kids have no clue what life is involved with. And they definitely didn't when they were babies. Now they're starting to wake up to it. But they'll really wake up to it when it stops being my credit card that pays for the gas and it turns out to be theirs. Can I tell you something? God loves you. And God knows that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And because he loves you, he will force you to deal with this. Can I get an amen from some of you know what I'm talking about? He'll back you into some corners and grab your attention. And you'll be like, what's wrong, God? And God's going, you stink as a giver. You're still focused on self. Now, do you notice in this whole sermon, I've handed you a principle. I've not handed you an application. It's more blessed to give than to receive. When you give, it will be returned to you, shaken down, running over. You're going to receive back by the measurement that you give. And he's going to multiply it by 100. But his goal is actually not what you're giving him. Think about that. Does God really need our time? Does God really need our talent? Does God really need our money? Does God really need anything we can offer him? No. But we do. We need the work of the Spirit within our own lives that comes from doing that. So when he involves us in the work, not only does he take care of his kingdom, not only does his will, is his will achieved, but he's saving us. He's saving us from our own greed. He's saving us from our own selfishness. He's saving us from our own nearsightedness. He's saving us from our own lack of vision. He's saving us from all of the things that along with our other brokennesses are causing us to be sinners. God doesn't need what you give Him, but you need to give Him because then He can birth within you a harvest of generosity. And when you are generous, you are free. When you are generous, you are free. I need to say that again. When you are generous, you are free. 
and the devil loses a hook in your life. He doesn't control you anymore. And when you're generous with those whom you cannot see, then you will know how to be generous with your husband or your wife who isn't everything you want them to be, but you give because you've learned the secret of giving. You're going to be generous with your friends when they're jerks, and you're still able to love them and forgive them. You're going to be generous with your employer. You're going to be generous with your fellow neighbor. You're going to know how to do the things that characterize the Christian, and you will begin to draw closer to what John 3.16 presented us with. This is how God loved the world. He gave, and we will become known as Christians because we love one another. You can't love without giving. It's impossible. So the secret to giving is that if you give as he leads and guides you, not as your flesh leads and guides you, and not as other humans lead and guide you, but if you give as he leads and guides you, what will be produced in you is, yes, great blessing. It'll come back to you. Whoever's going to play, come. It'll come back to you. But inside of that will also come something else. And it's this harvest of generosity. And that generosity sets you free. How is it that our typical Sunday morning is roughly half what it was before COVID? And yet, we've never been humming better than we're humming right now. How is that? We've never been humming better than we have been right now. There's more people involved in service. Your faithfulness in giving is astounding. Talking about money giving. More people are sharing their talents and their abilities. Because you see, God has a process that he calls discipleship to. You start out carnal. But Paul says we're not going to walk according to that carnal flesh that has enmity with God. We're going to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And as we walk with him, he births within us a transformation, a change. Don't ever resort to anything less than an environment in which you give freely. But you see God birth within you greater and greater measures of generosity. That's the secret of giving. That's why God's been faithful to this congregation. So where are you at today? Here's the application. Where are you at? Did you understand everything I said today and you kind of nod your head and go, yeah, I get it. Then keep reminding yourself because the devil will try to distract you. He'll try to pressure you to forget God's plan. 
Are you struggling to be faithful? And again, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about putting your life such that the kingdom is front and center. It's not all of your life, but it's front and center. You seek his kingdom first. Take what I've said today to heart. I've spent my entire life learning and living this. And if you come here and you don't give anything, you just show up on Sunday. First of all, we're glad you're here. We're going to go have food together. But you can't stay there. You have to let the master lead and guide you. And he'll start little. But when you're faithful over little, what's the scripture say is going to happen? He's going to give you more and ask you to be faithful over much. But at every step of what you're doing, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You'll receive when you give. It'll be multiplied. But then the key comes in. Do you turn around and give it back? Or do you hold it to yourself? That's the secret of giving. This altar's open. I want to give you all an opportunity. I know we've got potluck coming up. I don't think we've got to spend a long time, but I do think it'd be wrong for me not to give you an opportunity to let the Spirit take what I have done. I've gone as far as I'm supposed to go. I've given you the word that I'm supposed to give you, and now you need to give God an opportunity to kind of water that down into your spirit, if you will. I've planted the seed, if you will, and now the water of the Spirit needs to, needs to push it down into the ground so that it becomes a part of who you are so that it can begin to take root within your spirit and can begin to produce the harvest within you. Jesus, I love you today. Oh, I worship you. You have, oh, Jesus, you have, you have given us such an example of giving. You gave us everything. Greater love, greater love cannot be expressed than what you did on Calvary. And now in our lives... Everything is yours, Lord. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. But Lord, you, instead of demanding this, you, you reach out to us and you say, would you give yourself to me? Would you? Would you release control? Would you? Would you give? What are you asking us to give up, Jesus? What are you asking us to, to release, Jesus? What are you asking us, Lord? Or maybe, Lord, what have I, how have you blessed us? And now, we're, we're, Lord, you've been so good, but what is your true plan for that? Help us, Lord, not just to have the spirit of giving, but to understand the secret of giving that it's meant to be a cycle, a never-ending cycle, Jesus. Lord, I love you. Oh, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us. But God, you don't want to just leave it where it was when I received the Holy Ghost at six years of age. Lord, you want me to walk in your Spirit. You want me to die out to the flesh. You want me to be more and more Spirit-led. Jesus, in your name, Lord. 
Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, I worship you. Thank you for these godly people, Lord. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your word that leads us and guides us. Thank you, Lord, for the... It never comes back void, but always is multiplied back to us. Yes, Jesus, we cast it upon the waters and they return. God, let your word, which is truth, produce within our lives the harvest that you desire, Lord. Jesus, I worship you and I praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, I love you this morning. Thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for loving me in spite of my sin and my brokenness, Lord. God, help me to be reminded of where you've brought me from. How faithful and good you have been. Also very kind and gracious you have been. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Some of my more seasoned saints here, would you begin to lift your voice in praise to God right now? And provide an environment not only for yourself, but also for those that are newer and maybe aren't sure what's supposed to happen here. Would you lift your voice to God and provide an environment that would water this word, that it would bring forth fruit in their lives? Some of you need to lift your voice in thanksgiving for all the things he's done before already. You may even have a need right now. You may even not know what's happening, but oh, he's been so good. He's been so faithful. I magnify your name, Jesus. I worship you. Oh, mighty God, you have been good to us. You have been faithful to us. You have been good to us, oh God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I praise your name, Jesus. I give you glory and honor, Lord, for you are great and you are awesome. Oh, you are faithful to us, Lord, and we thank you. Oh, we magnify you, Jesus. We worship you and we praise you. For you are good. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. God, I magnify your name and I praise you. 
I glorify you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Ha ha sheti ara ra 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 ho sheti kiri ara ra 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 ha. Ha sheti ara ra 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 ho sheti kiri ara ra ha. Hallelujah, Jesus. By the way, to all of our guests, it's our generosity. We want you to come eat with us. We we know you came today and didn't know we were going to have a potluck. That's all right. You come enjoy our food. You come you come be with us. We want you to be in our presence. And to the congregation, let me leave you with one final note. Do you know why you share the gospel? Because of this principle. You know the answer to the brokenness of people's lives. And you're going to share what you have. And the good news is you don't have to share what I have. You just got to share what you have. It's supposed to sound like you. It's supposed to come out of your experiences. But share this gospel. You don't do it because you're afraid of going to hell. You don't do it because blood's on your hands. You don't do it. God doesn't work that way. God is in relationship with you, and it is out of the generosity and love for your fellow human being that you tell them about this gospel. So be wise about how you express your love, but share your love with this world. Tell them why your life is the way that it is. Be ready to give an answer to them when they ask you, why are you the way you are? That's why evangelism is. It's out of our generosity that we give. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time of fellowship. God, as pleased as you are with your word and as pleased as you are with our worship and our prayers. God, you're also pleased when we fellowship, when we express our love for one another. So bless our time in this potluck. Let it be pleasing unto you. And Lord, I know you've never answered this prayer, but I'm going to pray it one more time. Could you let me eat as much as I want today and not gain any weight? How many want to say in Jesus' name, amen? Now say it in faith now. Come on. Even though he's never answered it before, let's believe him. He's going to do it today. Head over. Let's eat.